This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Swansea has more McDonald's and clean sheets this season, so don't forget your McNuggets are closer than you think with McDelivery. The only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via the app are participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for further details. Hey, Spotifyers, click or tap the banner to listen to Rap Caviar, the freshest 50 hip-hop songs on the rawest playlist ever. Brought to you by our friends at Stars and the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. What do your music playlists and podcast feeds have in common? They're a reflection of you. And that's how the State Farm personal price plan works, too. It gives you options to personalize your coverage so you can protect what you care about most at an affordable price that's just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm personal price plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Welcome back, everyone, to Swan's Cast podcast. So I'm joined today by a very special guest in this uh, mid sort of like off season period between um, obviously last season and the new season to talk about Swansea's history. So welcome, Stuart Quigley. I'm uh, I'm hoping I said that right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I've been called a lot worse, definitely. That's fine. I meant to check with you before we started, but I just realized <laughs> when I rolled the intro, I was like, oh, I didn't check the surname. But um, yeah, okay, I'm glad I got that right. But yeah, welcome on board. Um, so a little bit of background. So Stuart, you reached out to me just to sort of like ask who can pop on to have a chat about the Swans. I was more than happy to do so. Some mm-hmm. good kind of content in what is sometimes a bit of a dull period, uh, especially dull for us down here at the moment because there's nothing going on in the transfer window, which is like the only thing that ever <laughs> happens at this time of year. So, well, I, I say dull. I mean, Wales just qualified for the World Cup, so I guess we got that to, uh, to, to sort of be happy about. You say that, um, though. It's one of these things because the World Cup's like later on in the year. I feel like we're being sort of tantalisingly close to something brilliant, and then we have to wait a couple of months for it. It's going to be great when it happens. Yeah. It, it could have been now, so we could It's have, also it frustrating just, that it's yeah. like the one time Wales qualify it's in November, to be honest. <laughs> like, I would have loved to have been in a, it's obviously the proper World Cup, but you know what I mean, like a traditional yeah. summer big event, going out in a beer garden, watching the football. But mm. um, now we're going to be watching it with our coats on, I guess. But <laughs> it would be good nonetheless to be there. Um, but yeah, so you reached out to me to sort of 
uh, ask if we could have a chat to um, go alongside some of the stuff that you might be writing in your new book. So I think the first thing to do is, do you want to introduce your book, what you're doing, what the aim is of it, and maybe where people can find it and that sort of thing? Sure. Uh, the book is called The Cornerstone Collection, and it is as comprehensive a tome as you can ever imagine in terms of Premier League history over the last 30 years, because it covers not just every club, but every era and every position that the players could have played. Because when it came down to this, I, I wanted to write something that was, yeah, okay, Premier League history, 30 years now, it's sort of well-timed in that regard. But also talk about not just the things that everyone have heard there are some really like famous players and then i'm not going to turn around and say like oh we're talking about um complete unknowns and especially like talking about club specific players you every club has their own history and sort of the ones the fans or the sorry the players that the fans gravitate towards so you can talk about your Roonies and your Thierry Henry's and uh, Steven Gerrard's all you want, but I wanted to delve a little bit deeper there and, and get into some more sort of um, the stories that are there to be told that haven't yet been told necessarily. <clears throat> yeah, it's always good sometimes to like look from maybe the perspective of the fan of the club rather than who's making the headlines mm. potentially, because I think sometimes the one player that's making all the headlines doing all the like uh, the big stuff in terms of scoring goals and the big influences isn't necessarily the yeah. fans player of the year or something like that for example i know that happens quite often down here um but it's it's nice to sort of learn a little bit more about those hidden hidden gems mm. i guess but yeah yeah no i just gonna say everyone knows like the history of like oh who's the best players in the premier league but they become very monotonous in terms of the teams and you, you get an idea of like, okay, it's a Liverpool thing, it's a Man United thing, it's a Man City thing, it's a Chelsea thing, it's an Arsenal thing. But I wanted to, to dig deeper into every club that's ever played in the Premier League. And uh, some of them are more, what shall I say, um, generous than others. There are, there are a couple of chapters where it just touches on a team as opposed to goes deep. But for Swansea very specifically, there's... A, a good period of time there and a good story to tell over the course of um, not just how Swansea came into the Premier League, but what they did while they were there as well. Yeah, the Swansea story and the rise up is is obviously a massive part of our history down here. And we kind of all, we're still in the honeymoon period of letting that go, if you like. So, mm. you know, it was a good rise up to the top and then it ended. And we're still trying to get over that, I think. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, some people, I don't know if you know much about this season. I'm sure we'll talk about it perhaps towards the end of the podcast. But we're in a transition to try and mm. play a more attractive football again, which is probably the sort of stuff you're talking about if you're talking about the rise up. Um, but I think it's a big question at the moment because last season, or the season before, sorry, where we had Steve Cooper and we were in the playoffs, mm. he's just got promoted to the Premier League with a different club now playing a completely different style of football. The question down here was, do we want that style of football or do we want to go back to the Swansea way? Mm. But is it right these days that that's the way to go forward? And I think that's what we're kind of debating down here right now. Or well, I think maybe from, struggling so, with, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> from an outside perspective, one of the things that I found fascinating about the Swansea story, and if I'm wrong, feel free to correct me here, but I feel like the way that you came up through the leagues and specifically when you first began in the Premier League, 
you were the how every other club should be run. And you yeah. put a lot of other teams to shame with the resources and what you managed to do with those resources. And, and also for a lot of it, and, and this is what I, I try and do in the book in the sense that like there's a single chapter in regard to Swansea City, but I also think that certain other chapters do reflect on other clubs. And also there's, there's bits to be taken from Swansea that will pertain to other teams as well. So you get a, a bit of both. And what I say is that in football, you can make good decisions again and again and again and again. And from my perspective, I felt like Swansea made really, really smart choices on and off the pitch for so many years. Yeah. And it only takes one or two for that to fall apart. Yeah, we got to the heights of um, of the Premier League. And I think in that, the desperation to stay becomes mm. a reality. And that applies to a lot of clubs. The longer you're there, the more it costs, I guess. Mm. Um, the more yes. desperate you are then because you're spending more to stay there. You have mm. to stay there. And the more that cycle goes on, the harder it is when you finally fall. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely the story of our last few years. Um, other clubs, I guess, have gone down worse in terms of maybe trying to spend to get back up straight away and not working Certainly. out. We went down, cut the costs, took the rough ride and managed to be remotely successful in the championship. But obviously, we're kind of lingering in no man's land at the moment. So we're still in the rebuilding phase. But we'll get to all that perhaps maybe at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, one quick question about your book. I know you said you're covering every single club that's ever been in the Premier League, mm-hmm. I guess, since it was branded as the Premier League you're, yeah, you're talking about. Yeah? Yeah. So how, how many clubs is that all together? So you put me on the spot here because it's like, <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire? It's either 49 or 50. I'm going to say 50. Um, okay. It would have been 51 and I would have been screwed if Luton would have caught this season. So thankfully the book is completely safe. But yeah, 50 teams uh, that have been there over the course of the last 40, 40 years, the uh, last 30 years. There's so much in terms of what's happened over those years. And, and again, um, Swansea very much when they arrived in the Premier League, part of a, a sort of shake-up and, and a... Um, one of the things I would say about the Premier League is it, it, it gets this reputation, it's always oh, the be all and end all and all this and all that. And I think, yeah, okay, money-wise, fine, but it needs freshening from time to time and Swansea very much were that at the time. And like I said to you before, and this isn't just me sort of uh, trying to uh, get over with the fans of Swansea, but at the time you arrived in the Premier League, it was the perfect storm of a collection of players and a system of setup, not just one manager, but two managers that managed to defy the odds and not just defy the odds um, in a, oh, we'll just survive relegation. You thrived for those first couple of years. And and that's, yeah. and, and I think as well, like what I'm going to, in terms of, of relation to the Swansea City chapter, I'm not going to necessarily give away the player that we're going to be talking about just yet. But I think there's a there's a very direct parallel between the success of, okay, I'm going to give a slight spoiler, right? A forward in terms of the, um, you've got to pick your right moment. You've got to choose the, no one knows. No one knows what goal is going to be the goal that changes everything. So whenever a striker puts the ball in the back of the net, it could be like, it could be inconsequential. It could be like a late consolation goal, but it could be the goal that everyone remembers forever. And with clubs as well, that direct comparison between making sure you do the right things at the right time. 
And like I say, Swansea, they did it very well for a very long period of time. And I, and I thought when it came to picking the player for Swansea, the the parallel between the rise and then the subsequent what happens after he leaves the club was very apt. Yeah. And it's definitely a tale of two halves. Yes. Yes. But, um, okay, so let's let's go to the beginning. You said about, for example, goals that ling- live long in the memory because of the, the influence they've had, perhaps. But maybe when we got to the Premier League in the mm. uh, playoff semi-final, I would say, there's one iconic goal from Darren Prattley where he scores from, like, halfway line. I don't know if you've uh, seen that one. But um, it was against Nottingham Forest. It was at home. Uh, we actually drew the first game nil-nil up there, playing 10 men for, like, 70 or 80 minutes or something like that really really early on the red card was so i think it was like their keeper was in the box at the end we went in 2-1 and the ball breaks and he scores from the halfway line and the scenes of joy basically from brendan rogers running down the touch line you know that's that's sort of stuff of dreams because for us it was a big thing getting to the mm. playoff final and then obviously we we went up afterwards um brendan rogers sticking with us then in the in the first season and you are right in what you're saying. We went up and we were determined to stick to our guns. Uh, we play this way now under under Brendan Rodgers and obviously Martinez before him, mm. even though there was Paolo Souza in between that changed things a bit for one year, but it didn't knock too much out of uh, the system. Mm. Um, but yeah, so we went up determined to stick the way that we wanted to play. First couple of games were rough or first month or two was quite rough, I think, but it wasn't rough in a way that we were just getting battered and pushed to the side. You could see we were doing what we wanted to do. It was just like that quality of finishing from the Premier League teams was obviously undoing us. But I think ultimately by Christmas even, we looked quite stable. Um, Mm. It was quite a good time to be a Swansea fan. It was kind of like proving all the doubt was wrong. Everyone had us favourites for relegation to finish mm. like last in the league, obviously coming up as the playoff winner as well. And I don't think we really spent big money on players when we came up, especially compared to today's standards. I think Danny Graham was our record signing at the time for three and a half million. So um, it seems like an eternity ago. It's only, only 11 <laughs> years now, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so I don't know what your sort of uh, recollection of that time is. but uh... I, I remember... Obviously, Swansea, certain teams, not just Swansea, come up with uh, a vibe, a reputation of, oh, these are a bit different. And I do think that this has changed slightly over the last 20 years, maybe not 30 years, in terms of teams coming up from the Championship, where at once it was, we're just going to go up for a season and we'll take our beatings, <laughs> we'll take our medicine, and it's fine just to have been there and experienced it. We get our away days and that's it. And there was a shift, and I said to you before, like, oh, the Premier League, it might not be the be-all and end-all, but other than the prestige of, like, the money, the, uh, the overhypedness of Sky, but Swansea came up with a plan. Swansea came up with a style, and it wasn't just a style, as you said, that goes back, like, one year or so. It was something that had come up through Martinez and League One, and, and obviously you had certain players that had been around that time as well. It wasn't like the squad had been chopped and changed, or you got like brand new owners that had come in and you moved to a, a um, like a, a different setup completely. It was a settled side. It was a side that um, had a certain level of fearlessness. I think is the right way of putting it. And 
when Rod, when teams come up, not just Brendan Rodgers, because Brendan Rodgers obviously has gone on to, to different things in the Premier League, but when teams come up and they want to play football, there's a little bit of arrogance there of going, yeah, it's fine if you want to play football, <laughs> but you're not going to get away with it, though, are you? You're going to get squashed or teams are going to do this yeah. and do that. And Swansea never were. No, there's actually some stats from that first season. I wish I grabbed them before the podcast, but there's some ridiculous stats about our passing percentages and possession and stuff like that in the top five European leagues. And we're up there with like Barcelona, Man mm. City, uh, like in the top three or four. And obviously for the team that's finishing, what was it, 10th or, um, mm. let's have a check, 11th, sorry, in the first season in the Premier League. So I have stats up there. We had players on, on the... Uh, creating chances list i think mark gower who wasn't necessarily one of our star players but he was mm. popping up on like assists or chance creations and and leon britain i think was the stalwart there on the past mm. success for an individual player right at the top but mixing with the lights of of xavi and iniesta in terms of his past success rates and and you know that makes you quite proud as a, as a fan of the club yeah. especially especially when you're a team that's come up in that year like it's we weren't necessarily winning as many games as the big teams because you're not going to be realistically. You're never going to go from championship to the top, top mm. of the prem straight away like that. But we were happy to be where we were. Like we were happy with 17th that season. So to be 11th was mm. well, it was amazing. Uh, very good, very good first season. Um, anything else you wanna you wanna go through with? Uh, with well, the I'll transition that over because the thing about the Premier League is that, and this is something that becomes more of a theme as Swansea's time continues, is that it's the ruthlessness of it in terms of Swansea come up, they do very well, they defy expectations, but maybe not in a way that yourselves would have expected it, but just in a, oh, this is working. You know, it, it's 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 a complete defiance of yeah. um, of common sense in a way that, like, you can come up, you can play, you can do this, whatever. Um, first things first, we'll, we'll take whatever players you've got. So this is works in tandem with, fine, Rogers. he does so well. And I do think you are slightly unfortunate in the sense that the – Bigger teams that year. There was a really weird parallel between Liverpool, Norwich, Swansea, and Aston Villa at the end of that season, where um, Swansea beat Liverpool on the final day, Norwich beat Villa on the final day, and both clubs end up taking those managers. They go in very different yeah. paths, but it's one of those ones where, okay, you've had your fun, you've come up, you've done this. Rogers goes to Liverpool, Joe Allen follows him. Now, okay, you're going to find the real truth. This is the Premier League, as it yeah. is. It's cutthroat, worst, best. You let that's what happens now is the the real sort of harshness. And even though Swansea had not, it wasn't like a one year success thing. It was like a five six year plan. And so, when you have that kind of stability at uh, um, a sort of top level. The decision then, okay, Brian Laudrup comes in, certain players get chopped and changed. And that's where we see something that I think every club has, but you're lucky enough as a fan to experience those feelings, those players, those moments. And um, I said before that I wasn't going to spoil who the player we're talking about in the book for Swansea. But when it comes to the players that were um, prolific during that time, there are a couple I could have had, 
and there's a couple of obvious ones and one of those is Mitya and it's not yeah. Mitya because that is and he I think there are certain parallels here as well in terms of like everyone loves when players come through the ranks everyone loves when they come through the academy or they go into the team or if they're just there for a long period of time like Liam Britton but there is something special about someone coming from out of nowhere someone coming from abroad someone who younger fans who even older fans would have got I can't believe this fella's come from in Mitchell's case somewhere in Spain and now he's ours Rio and now he's doing, was, yeah, yeah and he's doing this yeah. and it, it that's the power of football. You can bring these players from all across the world and, and, and everyone, and, and I will openly admit that I am a bit of a footballing romantic because there's a lot of talk about mercenaries and about, oh, you bring these players in. What do they care? What do they do? But I do believe in the power of connections in football. I think that's what the book is about. So players connections with yeah. fans and, and so on and so forth. And um, Amitra is a perfect example of that, of someone coming in and, I can say, as someone that wasn't a Swansea fan, everyone was jealous of that. Yeah, everyone loved Mitchell, didn't he? I think there was even a quote from Alex Ferguson saying he was going to mm. question what happened with his scouting team to miss such a bargain because um, 2.3 million he cost us. Um, mm. And he hit the ground running on his debut, two goals against QPR in a 5 0 win, I think, first game un- under Michael Loudrup. Um, just set sail on. What was mm. going to be again another fantastic season and any sort of question marks over the appointment of Loudrop because he hadn't had like a massive managerial mm. career before and people didn't know if he was going to necessarily be um able to to do it because you know you're a good player doesn't always translate into being such a good manager and mm. then um he was just fantastic for us that year so and and yeah for you to say as well i mean i mean he won you went out first piece of silverware in a long time like yes proper silverware now like a cup of the league cup so anytime we've ever won that took us into europe so um yeah fantastic season well that's part of the journey isn't it in terms of like swansea you on one so sometimes when you read a book and i I don't do cliffhangers in this book because they're all concise chapters of different players but sometimes when you read a book you get a cliffhanger and and the transition from rogers to loudrup could have easily been a Oh, is it all about to go massively wrong? And it goes one yeah. step further, which is the the success and the run through the League Cup and the final. The one thing I would like to ask, and this is a question sort of posed in the book, which is um, in terms of the final, was the final more Chelsea than it was Bradford? Um, I went to both. Well, I went to the home game against Chelsea and I went to the, the playoff final. But I think the match against Chelsea was ultimately won a Stamford Bridge mm. because we won there 2 0. Danny Graham, I think, scored. Um, I think I lost that. I mean, it's a long time ago now, but I, I think he scored at least one of them. Um, and then, yeah, at home, it was kind of like keep them out at all costs. I mean, you got that infamous, uh, what's the word? Um, incident, incident, yeah, sorry, with the ball boy and he's mm. in the hazard, which I mean, shout out to him now because he. He's, he owns a, a big vodka company, unbelievably, <laughs> which um, it's a very popular brand of vodka. So uh, he's done well for himself. But yeah, so like excitement, drama, it was a very good experience to be there. Um, but as much as that was like maybe a harder game or a harder set of games, and also Liverpool prior to that as well, I went up to Anfield. I, so that I was, was there. Yeah. That was fantastic away day. You were like, unbelievable at that. 
yeah, I, I mean, Brendan Rogers as well, being the manager, it was even mm. more bittersweet because, I mean, no one really owes a grudge now, but like at the time, it's like, oh, mm. does he have to go? I to can't remember but... exactly if it was just before half time or just after half time, but the way he fetched Stephen Gerrard off the bench was a very sort of telling call. Yeah, he really didn't want to lose that game, but um, mm. we loved it. We we loved every moment of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it's a day out to Wembley at the end of the day, so it doesn't matter who you play in. Mm. We obviously went to Wembley two years prior because of the playoff final, but this wasn't for a promotion. This was for like something else. Mm. And, you know, we've only won it once. It was special in that way. And it got us a ticket across the continent, didn't it? So, so I think that was a massive party as well. And credit to Bradford as well for getting there. Yes. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to say that right now because you didn't feel it at the time, but I think secretly every Swansea fan must have felt so much more comfortable with that opposition than if Bradford had been knocked out by, was it Aston Villa? Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I think there, there was an element of when the semi-final draw was made, everyone had penciled in Chelsea versus Villa in the final and Villa had an absolute mare against Bradford. Um, and, and then, like, as I've said, and I think this is just common sense. In a cup final, it doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter who you do it against. What matters is that your team is there holding the yeah. trophy aloft at the end of the game. Yeah. And, again, Michael Loudrop, I don't think he's done necessarily massive things after he left us either. No. But he's, he's a successful manager as well as being a successful player. So even mm. if he never does management again, you know, to come in, implement the style of play, which... I would add on to what you said earlier was perhaps a step up in flair and attack than what Rogers was offering. Um, and yeah, he won silverware and took us to Europe. And I know afterwards, maybe it was a little bit um, downhill towards the end of his reign for whatever reasons, but the period of success where it was all working, where his kind of unknown signings came in and were doing well, you know, Maybe some of the not so unknown ones. You've got Pablo Hernandez, for example. He'd been mm. to the World Cup with Spain. So signing someone like that for Swansea, you've got the extreme of Michu who's kind of like an unknown. No one really knows about him. Even though he was playing in Spanish top flight, he still mm. went under the radar and it was a massive bargain. But then Pablo Hernandez, four caps for Spain, played at the World Cup. It was like, oh my God, we can sign players like this now. And obviously mm. he's gone on to have, uh, you know, played well for Leeds in the last couple of years and and um but yeah it was kind of a big spanish contingent that came with michael laudrup and that flair was brought with it that kind of like if you want to say tiki taka was perhaps the peak of when we were doing that sort of stuff there was one game i don't know if you have seen it um it was against west prom at home in that season we won 3-1 romelu lukaku scored for west prom in that game mm. the first half performance for the swans in that game we went three nil up that's the best i've ever seen us play and I've never seen us play that well since. They were creating so many chances. The The attack was so interlinked. I think it was one of the first times he played Wayne Routledge and Nathan Dyer and Pablo Hernandez with, I think, Michu ahead of them. But those three, they didn't really have positions. They were just inter- mm. interchanging between each other. And West Brom did not know how to deal with that at all. And it was amazing to watch. Well, I think that's one of the things that um, I talked about, or I referenced rather before in terms of Swansea, not just before they came into the Premier League, before they were even really in the Championship. I don't think anyone can sit down as a League One team and go, we're going to do this, this and this, and it's going to work this well. Swansea are just the best example of that. But in terms of trying to play 
the right way. And, and I think the right way always gets overemphasized in terms of it, it's free-flowing attacking football. At the end of the day, it's about winning. But yeah. winning and playing like that with the the freedom and the the passing sort of technical ability of uh, leaving teams behind. And I, I think a lot has changed in the Premier League, not just over the last 30 years, but over the last 10. And um, Swansea between Rodgers and Laudrup very much got a jump on everyone in terms of the way they approached the, um, their entire setup. Uh, and then what, ha- what ends up happening is what always ends up happening is that certain other teams that have bigger resources end up catching up or just going... You're doing well. We'll have you. Yeah. They're all about that. Mm. They're all about that. Um, but I mean, I, I think historically any club from top six, perhaps, or like side down from that is going to suffer that sort of fate. Mm. Maybe there's a couple of clubs in the Premier League that can get away with it now. Like Newcastle got a bit of money these days. You've got Everton up there. I know well nearly not up there, but they've got money, is what yeah. I'm saying, and they can perhaps afford to keep all of their players more than they would have been able to 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyone coming up, I think, right now, coming up from the championship, it's a lot harder, perhaps, to stay there, and to keep all of your assets as well, um, mm-hmm. right now. I suspect maybe COVID has an impact there, in terms of how desperate clubs are to get some funds, but it seems a bit different. This is the, I don't know what you call it, it's the gamble, ultimately, is when teams come up from the championship, um, there are sides that come up and they played a certain way in the championship and they have to maybe expand a little. Um, Really random shout, Karanka's Middlesbrough were a side that came up. They, I thought they were going to be a very different side than what they were, but they couldn't do it and they they ended up being defensively... uh, for half a season, they were, couldn't score. And then the other half of the season, they kept conceding. So it was just bad on both ends. I always think from a baseline perspective, if you can't score, if you can't show any signs of attack, and, and this whole thing of like, don't fear the Premier League. Play these guys like they're nobodies and attack them, have a go. And, and that's the, um, the, the beautiful thing about Swansea in this period was that like, they got their respect immediately. They yeah. not only just by the fact of the way they played and how they finished, but everyone knew around the league this was a side that had a plan and this was a side that had everything sorted. And that sort of links me nicely into, and I'm going to give it away now to um, <laughs> in terms of what we're talking about. This one's in the book. The player that of the 45 that have been chosen that are in this book uh, for Swansea is, and this is a chapter on Wilfred Boner. And he comes in to the club at a, a beautiful period. Obviously, you've, you've won yeah. the League Cup. You've uh, settled yourself in the Premier League. Everything is rosy. And I do think as well that like it, it sounds almost stupid now to look back. And hindsight is always perfect for this kind of thing. But he scored 31 goals for Test the season previously. But transfers like that from the um, Dutch top flight don't always necessarily work into the Premier League. But you've done so much work in terms of everything you've done had been a hit that he was primed and ready to go when you signed him? Yeah, he was, again, <clears throat> he came in and hit the ground running for us. So talking about transfer fees as well, like I said, you know, the increase as you stay in the Premier League, mm. what I mentioned earlier, I mentioned Danny Graham was like three and a half 
Pablo Nandez was then 6.3. Boney was a massive jump each time, new record. Um, 14.4, or it was like 12 with add-ons, I think. Yeah. But um, coming in, but yeah, I mean, he was worth every penny of it and mm. paid that back immediately when when he started scoring and ultimately got his transfer. A couple of things like with him, I think he added a different dimension to the way we could play because of the, the style of player he is, but he also allowed everyone around him to thrive as well. Mm. And I think like, obviously you've given me a sneak preview of some of what you've mentioned about him, but one highlight, which I don't think we, we can not mention is, is in the Europa League when we went away to Valencia yes. and, and got that fantastic result. Which is probably I didn't I wasn't lucky enough to go to that one, but I think for people that did, it's probably one of the highlights ever. Uh, being a, a fan of of the club, and he scored in that game as well. So um, mm. yeah, very good performance and and very good time at the club. Well, I think as well, like looking into Swansea history, like he comes in and the, the Europa League sort of pre-qualifiers, as it were, and. Yeah. Um, scoring goals in that sort, and and also as well, like when you paid the money that you said you paid, you, it's not like you need an instant return, but like you you need a return. Yeah, and... well, there was actually articles at the time, I think, because we didn't spend that sort of money. Mm. It was like, oh my god, Hugh Jenkins, the chairman at the time, he's opened yeah. his he's opened his wallet, like he's opened his purse strings. What if it doesn't work? Like we're not used to this. And there were yeah. articles about that, like this is a big risk by Swansea. They, they're in Europa League now, so they can attract perhaps some of these players. And it's, they've gone big on a striker, like they've gone big. Is it going to mm. work? And and that was kind of the, the story, but ultimately, luckily for us, and, and another one where it did just work for us. So, and, and I think one of the things that I'm trying to sort of highlight in the book as well is not just the um, the League Cup win is as such a significant piece of any club's history in terms of tangible winning a trophy. But what that unlocks and the, the memories of anyone you said like you weren't uh, fortunate enough to go, but the, the game against Valencia and who Valencia were, by the way, which having looked at their history, I was actually quite surprised to see that there's not the dip that you expect there. I, I, like certain Spanish clubs have have come and gone. Obviously, you've got the, the top two, but um, at the time, Valencia were unbelievably respectable, and to go there and to beat them in the way that you did, it's the kind I said to you before. It's the kind of thing that, like, when it comes to players and and, and certain teams and certain eras, every club gets their moment in the sun i believe i genuinely believe that i'm fortunate enough to have seen more than enough for mine and i don't think you get one either i think it comes and goes in different generations but looking on and i remember watching that game where you just destroyed them yeah and it was this is as good as it gets this is the yeah. pinnacle this is incredible and um for a team that had been through the division <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to take that was Swansea going through the division. So I was so rapid, fast, but like you, a timing on that, <laughs> yeah. But th th that's th these are the the ways and the and the it's it's fairy tale stuff to a degree, and and unfortunately the way football works, you you have all the fairy tales. It's it's not quite like that on the back end. But what I would say is, before I preface this is that you've you've got the the group stage, but also the way that Swansea carried on and, and and went out eventually in the end it wasn't like 
we had that one game against Valencia and that was it. There was yeah. um, a, a sort of an opportunity there to, and, and also as well, like um, credibility is fleeting in football. Uh, you have to repeat it again and again and again. It's something that I said before, you can spend 10 years building it and it goes away within six months. Uh, the best example of this is Alex Ferguson at Man United, everything that happened there. And then what happened with David Moyes. I'm not having a go at David Moyes. That's not his fault, but, you spend so much trying to do so much and how small a time it takes for everything to go away. So when you're in those good moments, you have to really take them. You have to really hold yeah, them yeah. and acknowledge them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you said about the Valencia game, but like we went on obviously to play Napoli in the late yes. stages, not under Michael Outra by this time though, Gary Munker taking charge mm. by this moment, but we should have won that, that tie. Um, I went to the home game. I don't know how that was nil-nil. Honestly, again, saying one of the best I've seen us play without scoring. We had so many opportunities, but just couldn't. The keeper was making saves. They were making good blocks. We made that Napoli look not like a top European team in the home mm. game. And even away from home, ultimately, they you know they got the result. But it wasn't like we didn't really give them a good game. And okay. we did get quite unlucky. And I remember I was absolutely fuming. I think it was... A, um, Right at the end, we were pushing on. I think we had a counter-attack on the break, ball over the top, and I think Jonathan de Guzman had broke the offside trap. It was literally one versus one with the keeper. But just before the ball is coming down and lands, the referee blows his whistle. But, like, he's literally gone past mm. all the defenders. They're all, like, they've gone. And I think he, they were all going nuts. All the players were like, what are you doing? Like, you can't blow up there. Um, but, yeah, what could have been, eh? But um, still, mm. it was a, a good journey, nonetheless. And, um I mean, who who knows when we'll ever get back into Europe? It's not like the old days where we could win the Welsh Cup and and have a little bit of a journey. But and that's that's why this one specifically, I think, was so special mm. in our history and and so important as well. Who knows when the next one will be? But you know, um, got that to remember. Otherwise, well, yeah, I think Europe. And European football is it holds a special place in not just club competition, but just yeah. fans' hearts. There's, there's something different about uh, a Thursday night in maybe August in the group stages where you're, you're dreaming of what could be, or, or just simply going to somewhere different that you've not seen. Uh, the, 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 the whole idea of an adventure, that's what they call it. And that's what I think is fantastic about European football. And, and obviously... You go back in, in terms of history, you said winning the Welsh Cup and, and they yeah. had been in Europe before they had experience there. But I think I have this right. I'm trying to recall this off the back of my head. I think Wilfred Boney is Swansea's all-time top scorer in Europe. Probably in Europe, I think. I don't know off the top of my head either. I mean, we There's only had... one or two lads that scored in the 14-0 victory way back when that may yeah. have better. But um... I'm not sure how many like people have that sort of record readily available perhaps but um yeah, yeah, I, yeah. i'm not sure of top of my it's head. close either way and, yeah, and that's yeah. like if you can <laughs> see that if you can if you can bear witness when, you, when you're a part of that generation then it's like i know so as well like it, it's the romance of it it's not a club that sort of got to where they were because they got taken over by a shake or yeah I, I, do you know what i'm gonna hold my hands up here i don't dispute any of this because fans experiences are fans experience and one of the things that i like to try and put over in the book is that every fan base exists within its own bubble. 
you have your own experience and your own experience is the best it can ever be because yeah. you're never going to look at another team and go, I want what they've got. No, because you have what you have and what you have is fine. What you have is great because you can go to the matches, you can go home and away, you can experience the, the trials, the tribulations, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, because it's it's not who we support that brings us together. It's the fact that the game itself and the... Yeah. Um, the pull that it has over us and what that can do. And the, and the you said about the, the player semi-final and the highs and, and that, and obviously the league cup, but man, I've, I've not, I've, I've had different experiences, but I've yeah, had I mean, just as many highs. I mean, it's different than it. Every club is different. Yeah. Like for us, there's different expectations and getting to that sort of, uh, well, a journey like in the Europa League, mm. that's a massive high for us. Whereas maybe if you're Man City right now, that's not a high for you because you're expecting more. So it's just the different expectations are going to give you different emotions depending on the mm. situation and who you support. And I guess that goes all the way down um, down a football league. Like I can't remember the team who it was this season in the FA Cup that got quite far from uh, non-league. But that's probably quite similar for them in terms of, um, I think they're making history of how far yeah. they went and who they're playing against as a non-league team. And, and going so far in the cup, I can't remember who it was now, but they were playing. I remember who... Kiddy played West Ham, but I think that was. Um, well, maybe it was last season, but or the, you know, I, I know the team you were talking about. Oh, Sutton United, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All, all yeah. those sort of little ones. But there's yeah. there's been one or two in the last couple of seasons, but it was definitely a non league one. And mm. um, they, I think they had to like walk through like people's gardens to get to the, you know, mm. to get to the stadium. And or like you could literally see on the TV. There was people in their gardens watching the match because that's yeah. how small a stadium is because that's the club. So that's a magical journey getting drawn against like a Premier League team. Was it Tottenham? Mm. Tottenham had someone. I think yes. it was Tottenham. Yeah, like I said, it's literally really on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Like I said, I think you could use Man City as an example. They experienced unbelievable success over the last few years. Yeah. But the fans themselves might not have had quite the same high. As any other fan base, it's all relative. Like yeah. a high of the adventure that Swansea went on, I would, you know, I'm not going to say it is or it isn't, but the people that were there that witnessed it, are they going to change that for a Man City title win? No, it just it's, it's, I think a good example is. is Leicester as well, isn't it? Like yeah. Man City winning the title this year now compared to when Leicester won it. Mm. You just, I think, if you're a Leicester fan you enjoy that so much more than the Man City fan who's won it like four times in the last six yeah. years or whatever it is. Um, you still enjoy it, obviously, but it's not the same adrenaline rush of like, oh my God, that's an unbelievable achievement because mm. they're expected to kind of do that now. So yeah, you still you still celebrate the success, but yes. it's also expected success rather than unexpected success, I guess. And that's that's what the big key difference is there. And also as well, this links us on quite nicely in terms of the fact that um, I, I don't, I'm not going to dwell on this too much because we're, we're trying to talk about positives. But yeah, in yeah. terms of Wilfred Boney at Swansea, everything he did, that run in Europe, how good he was in the league. And then I mentioned this earlier, teams like Man City, the, the top six, um, elsewhere, Bayern, Real, Barcelona, if a team that they perceive to be lower than them is doing well, they ignore them for the most part of the time. But when they don't ignore them is when someone's doing too spectacularly well. well. Yeah. They, they see a ceiling there that like, oh, we can have you. And the thing about 
Wilfred Bode going to Man City is, I think certain players fit better in certain sides and he fit Swansea. Yeah. He didn't fit Man City. They didn't buy him because they had a plan for how they were going to play him. He, they bought him because he scored a lot of goals. And oh, that he's high on that list. Out. In yeah. 2014, I think it was the calendar year, he actually was the top goal scorer in the league for the calendar think, yeah, year. Yeah. I think it was 20 goals or something like that for that mm. for that year. Um, and obviously then he went in January afterwards. So uh, I think he got a bit unlucky myself at Man City, though, because I think he went to the Africa Cup of Nations as they bought him, come mm. back, and it was obviously difficult to get into the team for the last two months or so. Yeah, and then I believe he had malaria. Um, yes, in the yes. summer, and he just he just was on the back foot really for quite a lot of his career there. I mean, mm. I don't think he was necessarily as much of a flop as some people would say. I think he did no. score some goals, but he wasn't. He was definitely not necessarily like a thirty million pound striker who they thought they were going to buy in terms of how much output they would get. But he was. He did a decent squad job for them, I think. Mm. Well, it was one of these things where if he'd been bought with a specific purpose or um, the manager at the time, and I know there's a, it's a slight difference because obviously you've got the eras of um, Pep Guardiola coming in after Boney, and at, when he comes in, a lot of things change at Man City. But in the sort of prior setup, it was yeah, we we don't really look at this as a, a case of like we're buying you for a purpose we're buying you because we can yeah. and and maybe that's being a bit disparaging maybe that's being a bit over the top and a bit harsh but it, he'd done uh, there wasn't a club in the league that wouldn't have locked up Wolfram Boney and gone could do with a bit of that and yet what you do when you buy him for that reason is you fail to understand why he was a success in the first place yeah. because the team was kind of built around getting him the ball mm. in the right areas. Whereas in Man City, he's just going to go into the team of whoever is on the pitch. It's yeah. not necessarily like, yeah, it's not designed for him. And and he was never, ever, ever going to upset Aguero. Like, you know, that was never going to happen. I think at the time they signed him, they played two strikers. So they were rotating, I think it was Aguero, Dzeko, Balotelli was there maybe just before. And Jovetic, was it? Sounds um, about right. I think, and I could be wrong on this, Wilfred Boney, one way around or the other, usurped Jovetic's Champions League place in terms yeah, of their... Yeah, I think, I think that's what I saw somewhere, yeah. And, and, but, like, I think I think the manager changed, or at some point they changed formation or manager changed or something, and then they went to a one-striker setup, and all of a sudden, you've got, you got, like, all these strikers, but you can only play one at mm. a time. So, yeah, a bit, big club problems, I guess. Lots mm. of money, big club. That sort of thing happens too regular. I mean, we we had a player from before, um, Scott Sinclair. Yeah. Not didn't do. I mean, he did worse than Boney when he went to Man City. I think he only played like four times, but that was a different reason they signed him. It was more earlier in the money days, and I think they signed him just to fill their English player quota, along with Jack Rodwell. But um, for us, like we suffer for the sake of them ticking a box, which is what. Again, mm. to your point, it's just because they can. And and this is the thing of, it's not the fact that Boney goes to City as to what happens with Swansea in the Premier League. That's not what decides the fate. And it's not even necessarily what happens with Loudrop and him leaving that decides the fate. It's, I don't think it's any one thing. It, it's the fact of how, as I said to you before, harsh, cutthroat, ruthless, whichever way you want to call it, 
Swansea had done so many good things and they made maybe one or two bad decisions. I'm thinking of Bob Bradler. Yeah. And then it all goes. And, and yeah. it's, it's kind of sad how you can do all that good work because I look at certain other teams in the Premier League that hadn't done anywhere near the same amount of work, but they're established and they've got more sort of a collateral to, to spend and to get themselves out of these situations. But when you find yourself looking down the face of that trap door, it opens very quickly and you slide down. Yeah, it's that desperation to stay in the league that I was on about earlier. Mm. Obviously, going into the season after... Um, we wouldn't have known at the time potentially, but obviously the club was looking at takeover potentials going forward and all that was going on in the background. So again, the board was a massive part of our success. Mm-hmm. Maybe that I was taken off the ball a little bit and the guys that came in were new. So all of a sudden, something that was so consistent, so thorough, so planned and thought out isn't as active in doing all those things anymore. Mm. And then they've gone. I know Hugh Jenkins stayed in his role afterwards, but he wasn't ultimately having the control that he would have had previously. And I know we'll get on to that when it happens. But the year after, funnily enough, like after Boney left, was actually our highest, mm. it was kind of like a false dawn maybe because he was under Gary Monk. He was our highest position. But I think ultimately it is the start of where it does begin to decline we didn't know it at the time celebrating the high level of success mm. but the, the playing style started to drift it wasn't necessarily the free-flowing passing football attacking um over time i think under gary monk that became more rigid and defensive but again when you've been successful nobody really questioned it that year yeah um but yeah it's I, uh yeah go on you you can you can i think the other thing as well for me is that um, not just in terms of Swansea getting decisions right, there is a sort of, I don't know, you've run out of time to to stop, because when teams have to change, and then this is the one thing I would say in terms of um, not just Swansea um, sort of on the tail end of their Premier League iteration, but Swansea now, teams get so frightened about standing, about, about moving, sorry, not yeah. standing still. If you stand still, you're dead in terms yeah. of football. And there are certain teams that look around and they go, oh, well, and, and this does work. There are certain teams that stay up by default in the Premier League just because other teams are inexplicably worse. But I believe that you have to make a choice, make a move, do something and try and move in a direction and hope it is the right direction. And Swansea had the history of making the right choices. And you can't get it right forever. Yeah, you can't. You just can't. Yeah. And I think that's realistic, to be fair. I mean, we had a massive, a, a long time where we were doing well and we were on up, 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 and it was going to end at some point. And, and even though this was still, this was the peak, like mm. 100% this was the peak for different reasons as well. It wasn't necessarily like, I think Michael Laudrup era was more enjoyable, but this was technically the highest finish, wasn't it? So like, mm. but I mean, we signed like this season, I know maybe controversies since, but, uh, and I listened to a podcast actually the way he was speaking to it, I was halfway through listening to it this morning, uh, but Gilfie Sigurdsson come back for his second time at, mm-hmm. at the club. And, and he again is a very important player for us in our Premier League time, yeah. very successful. And from this moment until he went for the second time, he was kind of key and instrumental and the key player in, in the system. Um, another one that I've seen came this year as well, which is quite notable, I think. 
Jefferson Montero. So I think, and I say notable just because of the amount of left backs that he put on the floor. <laughs> and and I think that for, again, us good memories of Anovich, I think Callan Chambers had nightmares over him after after a period. I, I seem to recall Swansea doing Arsenal on a regular basis. At that oh, Arsenal period. were like our favourite team to play. Yeah. Big clubs. We, we love to win against Arsenal. Um, even when things were looking bad, I think there was mm. one where Alan Curtis was caretaker manager when Gwieselin was like in hospital being ill. I remember, I think this might have been the season after the one we're talking about now, if we're moving on to that, but he, um, so, so Alan Curtis is picking the team and we see like Oh, there's a new new left back, Stephen Kingsley. Uh, we knew he was in the youth system, but oh, he's never played the game before. We're like, oh my god, what's this team selection? A couple of other weird things there. We're like, oh, we're gonna get battered. Are we going to win one nil? I think it was one nil. Um, but yeah, crazy. Mm. But the, the thing, this is the thing as well. Is that like um, Swansea and, and other teams as well have? Uh, if you go up and the, like I say, the experience had changed. You you weren't just in there to enjoy it. You were in there to to stay up and to um, not just try and oh we'll we'll play the bottom ten and we'll get those results or whatever. But the games that you play against an Arsenal or a Liverpool in the League Cup or whoever, those are the those are the victories and those are the the, the memories that like you go okay yeah that's that's what we're and, yeah. and for the most part like. I can think of Stoke, obviously, because they had a big reputation against Arsenal um, and Swansea. And they were two very different sides of the same coin in terms of they both came up and they both gave bigger teams issues. But, but playing that's an Arsenal, ways. though, like you're saying about the style. We're more similar, I think, than a lot of other clubs, which I thought was quite funny because they like to try and play nice football to in a certain way under Wenger, didn't they? And we would go there and play nicer football and win, and it was just no. Yeah, I think amazing. I think I think that's what no. I think that's what's funny. I think that that's like sort of an underrated caveat of the teams that aren't necessarily the 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 big six or the other the more prevalent teams that you would expect to be talking about in the Premier League because um, both yourselves and Stoke had similar success against yeah. Arsenal. Although um, I do, having done the research for this book, um, Arsenal beat them ten times out of ten at the Emirates, so uh, slightly less success than I remember. But, you know, like, Arsenal was your typical, and, and it, this goes more to sort of lean into what was going on with them at the time, but the, the Premier League has been full of teams that aren't necessarily going to be challenging for the title, but they still have their fun. And we talked about it earlier, the, the, the teams and the, the fans, and, like, I hate to... I don't know if it's in the, the Wilfred Brody chapter or if it's in a different chapter, but um, in terms of you go into the game week in and week out, at the end of the season, no one just meets up and goes, we finished sixth, you finished seventh, that means we're better than you. It's about yeah. week to week. It's about, like, okay, yeah, you might finish higher at the end of the day, but only one team can win it. So, at the end, like, it's about the journey and it's about those players and about those moments. And if they come yeah. more often than not, then you're doing better than most teams. Yeah. And 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 you're right. And there's like, I was like, I'm looking at the list of the players that we had in that era, and there's always then one or two that stand out each year about how they've come in and made an influence. So again, you got Andre Ayew then the year after, another big player for us who came in and made some big moments. Um, got his move again because he done well to West Ham mm. afterwards, and and ultimately quite similar story perhaps to Wilfred Boney. Grass wasn't always greener, and he he came back. Um, 
uni actually left last year for the set for the mm. for the, the most recent time but yeah it's uh it's crazy how back to what you said earlier some players just fit in a system as well mm-hmm. they get on so well and bond with the club or with the fans and become an important part and then you have the memories that are linked then to mm. those players of that time so like i mentioned michu boney i would say andre Ayu and sigurdsson um four big ones for us in terms of players we've signed done well uh made an impact and then perhaps moved on if you're going to talk about leon britons and that sort of thing that's a different conversation in terms of the respect and the what it means to the club but in mm. terms of like big players coming in in the premier league those guys are definitely up there some of the uh good moments well the other thing as well is that uh, you see a lot of players fit clubs just to piggyback off that yeah so, Body comes back. Body spiritually. I mean, if you believe some of the interviews that he, he's given um, in the interim, he, he didn't really leave. He was speaking to people at the club. He, he very much had a vibe for the club. He got feel for the club while he was there. And you know, like I hop back to what I said earlier. People think about certain players as oh, they're just in it for the pay grade, and they're for, and and to be fair, there probably is an element of that. They're very handsomely. Um, like quantified in terms of their financial compensation. But yeah, yeah. He you go on Twitter right now and search for Wolfram Boney and you'll see that Swansea song. You will see yeah. this like people posting the video. And you know, that's what you want. That's what football's about. Like yeah. it's that connection. It's that sort of uh, if you if you go through football throughout your entire life, maybe you'll and I'm fortunate enough to have seen more than most win certain things, but with certain players and certain times of history where you have their the ability to be taken along on a ride like that, and you feel that connection with the player, and you know, not everyone can like in the Premier League, one team will win it next year, but yeah. there'll be so many other things that can happen in the championship. Like, if it's all about who wins and who doesn't, then what have we got really? There's five teams that are happy. Like, I, I feel very strongly about a player coming into a club and making an impact, not just in terms of the goals he scores, but in terms of the pla- in terms of those in the stands. And I think this is where the, the, the book comes into its own in terms of, I don't really want it to be about, oh, Bonnie came in, he scored loads of goals, he was good. I want it to be about a connection point between the fan base and that player. Yeah. And that for, for, for me and for that time, I, I think there maybe are a couple of players that Swansea have that are thought of um, higher, but it was the perfect time for the club. And and at that point, you don't you don't often get to as a club in their history because English football, uh, oh, sorry, British football, obviously, I don't want to go too far because the Premier League history and even Division One history, it goes back over 100 years. Like Swansea City, the, the history of that goes back more than just the last 10 years or so. And we've got so much, every club, in terms of the rivals, the players, the history, the this. And to be witness to what was an unbelievable period of time, that's fantastic. That's 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 yeah. everything you could want. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think it works on the other end of the spectrum a little bit as well. Like you mentioned earlier, Bob Bradley. Um, mm. As much as perhaps wasn't comfortable at the time, he's a bit of a meme, isn't he? Now, in terms of mm. how he's thought about how people perceive him, I felt a bit sorry for him actually. Because if you are in his shoes, we just got new American owners, which is why they brought him in. Mm. For a start, they sacked Guidelin unfairly, right? We had a bad start to the season, 
where we'd played like six of the top seven clubs in the first seven games. And we've been losing like 2-1 to Man City, 2-1 to Liverpool. And they, they score in like the 90th minute or something, mm. which that's not really that bad for for where we are. But because it was a loss, bye-bye, out you yeah. go, on his birthday as well. But obviously <laughs> we knew afterwards when Bob Bradley came in and it was like announced immediately he was American. There was just, yeah, they wanted to get an American guy in. That's essentially what it was. But if you're Bob Bradley, you just can't say no to that opportunity, can you? Like, no, no. You just can't. So I, you do your I, best, I but, you know, it's not I, good I don't enough. think it's on him. I just think, and this is a complete outside perspective, but this might give you, like, some sort of, like, Vietnam-style flashbacks. <laughs> but um, the game against Crystal Palace... That's, like, but, but again, a high a high out of the low, because, and I say a high, but it was kind of like a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, <laughs> the, the, the thing, when things like that happen, a game like that transpires... You know that there's more to it than just that. It, it, and maybe that I, I'm not an analyst. I, I'm not a tactician, and I don't want to be even associated with like I, I know nothing about football. Bob Bradley knows infinitely more about football than me. But when something like that happens, your eyebrows just raise a little and go, "Oh, hello! Something's yeah. going on there at this club at this time." And it's really hard to swallow the pill of, "Yeah, maybe this is just going badly." Especially when it's gone well, so well before. He didn't last but, that long, did he? But yeah. um, his kind of theme was, we actually played quite well under him for the first 10, 15 minutes in a match. We looked really good, positive, um, creating chances, just perhaps couldn't score first. And then all of a sudden, the other team would score from a counter-attack. And then five minutes later, we're like 3-0 down. And that happened in like a couple of games in a row. Like We just fall apart as soon as we conceded. Every mm-hmm. game, he would start well. Like, oh, maybe it's the one that's going to gonna start get us going but couldn't score they score that's it game over three nil um but the crystal palace game specifically i was at a wedding a wedding where they were like oh yeah no phones no football but obviously we were under the table trying to keep track of the score um and it was like oh yeah look we're three one up there yeah we, this is good he's actually you know home against palace i think they might have been struggling at the time and we were like, oh, that must be right lucky your phone like 15 minutes later or something Four three. Oh my god, what? It's like eighty seven minutes, it's four three. What's going on here? We were literally three one up. I can't believe it. Oh my god, oh, that's it. A bad mood now for the rest of the night. And then someone over there is like, Oh, they've equalized. It's like two minutes left or something. And it's like, What? What? And then you open your phone up and it's like, Oh, we won. Oh, honestly, like the the like it was crazy, a crazy day. Um Lorente was making a statement because Bob Brown mm, decided he didn't want to play him and Borja Baston was playing, not really doing much, like I don't know. It was carnage, to be honest. But um, but yeah, Lorente, like a World Cup winner. Yeah, exactly. Like, the... I'd, I'd even go so far. I, I don't think he's ever done much. But I think someone like Boyu Baston, who actually had decent stats going into that, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Highly rated by Atletico goals. Madrid. Yeah. Um, he'd only been really out on loan in in the league, but the Atletico Madrid fans when he left to come to us and 16 million pounds a lot of money like for mm. a guy who was kind of a prospect at the time you know they were quite sad they were like oh you know we, we liked him we thought he was gonna have mm. his future hope he does well but it just didn't work for him well these it, it, in a, it's not a direct parallel but it's you can draw a straight line between Boney and, and Baston in terms of like we've done this before and it's worked yeah and uh, football transfers don't always work out like that. Man City had that when they bought Bodhi. You have that when you buy Baston. And it's just, I do think there's a certain element of uh, closing a loop when 
finally comes back to Swansea. And it would have been beautiful if he'd have been able to do something yeah, to stop that. Yeah, it was heartbreaking that. a little bit because like it was so much so much of a love story, if you like. Mm. But it just didn't work out the second time. And it was hard to like... Obviously, some people are like, oh, you've got to let it go. He's done. He's not the same. But yeah. then other people are like, oh, but you know, play him in the next game. He'll come back to me and just needs fitness. Because I know he had a bad injury record when he went to Stoke and... Yes. some of his Man City time. But going back to you said about the Baston signing not working, um, the problem was, and I, I mentioned earlier under Monk where the style changed or started changing, and then you'd add, who was after Monk? You had Alan Curtis for a bit, then Guizel, and then Bradley, then Paul Clement. Um, and it, it was it was going more defensive like every time, essentially. Mm. Guizelin's wasn't, it was more Italian, if, if you get what I mean. But um, we were still signing players for Michael Laudrup, even yeah. though he's not there. And there's a couple of examples after in the last year before we go down. Um, so you've got a big one, Renato Sanchez um, and Rogan Mesa. They're probably the two main ones where Rogan Mesa is a good player. He didn't do anything for the Swans, mm. but we signed him at the wrong time under the wrong manager and the wrong system. He would have been perfect playing alongside Leon Britton under Brendan Rogers or Michael Laudrup, but not playing against uh, alongside like Sam Klukas and and Jack Cork. And, I, and like when we're playing five of the back system under Paul Clement and just trying to keep teams out. And have I yeah have I plucked this out of thin air or got this completely wrong? But didn't you have Adair at the top? Not uh, oh yeah yeah Adair well. yeah Adair uh, was um... and this is completely like go, glossing over Gomez as well. So there was this is I think this is the, the Adair was not... the year that Gary Monk got sacked. Um, and back was... to Gomez was there as well. As well. Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting one in terms of players had fit the right. You say that's being signed for for maybe different managers, but there was never really any sort of signings that maybe not misfired. I think that's the wrong way of putting yeah. it, but just didn't quite work out. Like um, you mentioned, Renato Sanchez. Even now, that sounds baffling because of what he's gone on to do, and who, and still, yeah, the he's a quality he player. And do you know what? Yeah. He he couldn't. It came because of poor Clemens' links to him, really. Yes, but like. I think he'd been a naughty boy at Bayern Munich and they wanted to send him out and he didn't want to get sent out and he didn't give two hoots about mm. really trying that much at the start anyway. And Paul Clement couldn't coax that out of him. And I'm sure you've seen that infamous thing of him passing to the advertising board and mm. Paul Clement's uh, little reaction afterwards. Um, but when Carlos Carvajal came in, he's Portuguese as well, he did actually get something out of him for a couple of games until he got injured. And it looked like, he was like, oh my God. I think it was like January or February. And he was like, maybe you can get enough out of him now to make a difference for the second half of the season, turn things around for us and keep us in the league. And he started looking like the player that we thought he might be in glimpses. And then he got injured for the rest of the season, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, again... The manager, like I think Carl Carvajal was dealt a bad hand in terms of like people probably look back on him as the manager that sent us down, but the damage was already done. Uh, he actually had a good points return in his period at the club. I think if he had that over the full season, we wouldn't have gone down. I, I think the thing uh, and stability is the thing that most clubs try desperately to cling toward, and it was something that you had for quite some time. And yeah, it's that. It, it, it's a really hard thing to balance on the scales of 
I don't know what you call it. It's not footballing justice because that's not the right word. It's just footballing survival of we need to do something versus we've got to try and keep things the way they are because we need stability. And a lot of clubs, as they're sort of looking over the, the, the precipice, just make moves and do things that on paper they wouldn't normally do. I, I'll go back to, to this. If Swansea, maybe not don't win the League Cup. In fact, I have to take the League Cup off the table because just because it's so it's such a big thing. But if yeah. Swansea had just done okay, finished 17th that first season, Rogers goes. I'm not saying they don't buy Bonner because obviously the scouting and everything that was in place there. But you the moves you make and the decisions you decide... Um, and the path you take as a football club is dictated by what's going on around you at the time. And um, Swansea at the time, it's, it's fairly blasé of me to say, oh, they could just buy Bonnie because they could. But him yeah. coming in, and, and as we already said, like the platform he had, it, it could hit the ground running. There was no real pressure on him. Whereas if he comes in for that price tag and you've just finished 17th, very different scenario. And it's the same as when you fast forward to the tail end of Swansea's time in the Premier League, every decision that's made is compounded by the fact of what happens if this doesn't come off. Well, the last season, you got 15 million for Sam Klukas, another 12 million on Wilfred Boney, and 20.5 million for Andre Ayew in January um, in the last ditch attempt. I think it was a deadline day. We mm. need something to keep us up kind of transfer. And that... that I think it's a theme you see quite a lot with clubs desperate to stay up, isn't it? Massive fee on a player and they just don't work. And then you've got to deal with that when you go down. And that's what we had to had to deal with in the end. I mean, I did okay for us when he came back, but it was a long, it was a big task to keep us up, I think. And mm. that's why we couldn't sign a lot of our targets. We were linked with a lot of people. I think um, Nicholas Gaitan was one of them. Um, oh, I can't remember now. It's going back a couple of years. But there was a couple mm. of people that... Good players, like there was a striker from Atletico Madrid, I can't remember his name, but he turned us down basically because we were mm. bottom of the table so far adrift. It was like, if I go there, like, and they go down, what's my get out basically? And yeah, turn us down, but but yeah, it's, it's that desperation again. I spoke about earlier in terms of trying to stay here, you, you take that risk to stay because the money is there to repay it if you stay up, it's just if the risk doesn't pay off. That's when the problems start, I guess. Mm. And ultimately, that's football in terms of so many teams. They try and roll the dice on what can be versus what is. Yeah. And I think the fortunate thing for Swansea is, is that they weren't looking at it from a perspective of, oh, we're going to try and do this because, you know, maybe one day. I, I do think certain teams get caught in this idea of we'll finish 17th for the sake of finishing 17th. Swansea were never that. It was always a case of we're going to try it. From the moment they arrived in the Premier League to the moment they left, they tried to be a football team and tried to do it. And I'm hesitant to use this term as the right way, but in a way that's um, progressive and doing things that the fans will like. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, we did lose our way slightly going towards the end. But I think, as again, as I've said, it, it comes with that took our eye off the ball it was the takeover all that stuff the takeover wasn't good it was quite controversial and and the new guys were learning mm. a lot of bad decisions and then trying to catch up on your bad decisions the managers were brought in to keep us up when there was a sacking and then 
when you get into that mentality, it's like, right, we'll push the style of play to the summer. Mm. Get your style in the summer. Just keep us up for now. But sometimes the summer, or oh, you know, it doesn't come, does it, essentially? Yes. So um, that's what happened towards the end. It wasn't like we were maliciously trying to change our style of play. It was a case of, like, we just need to stay up now. So whatever you need to do. So mm. that's why the likes of Paul Clement came in, did so well, and then had more time in the job and didn't do so well. And and repeat and repeat. And that's what kept happening. And I maintain to the day, the season that we did go down, I don't know what other sort of like non-Swansea fans think of our relegation. We were quite far adrift when Carvajal took over. We actually managed to lift ourselves off the bottom of the table. I think we actually got out of the relegation zone briefly. Um, we had Andre Ayew, like I said, we signed him. He was playing alongside his brother, Jordan Ayew, who we had at the club for a couple of seasons at that point. And we had Tammy Abraham, didn't we, as well in that season. Mm. So we had some good players there. Um, so we'd done well. The, those two in particular, the, the two AUs, had a good connection and it was working. We were getting some goals, getting some good attacks under Carvajal. Jordan AU gets sent off in a match quite early on against Huddersfield away. We end up drawing that match nil-nil. Now, at the time, you're like, oh, that's a good point away from home. I think we were then maybe like just outside the relegation. Nil-nil away from away from home. Good point when you get a man sent off so early. Yeah? They were one of our rivals to go down that year. Mm. We knew we had two home matches coming up against Stoke and Southampton a couple of matches before that. But, you know, you argue like if we can hold our own now and then win those two games, mm. we're safe. Because he got sent off, it disrupted any attacking rhythm we had. We didn't score a goal for his entire three-match ban. And I think, actually, when he came back, we really struggled. Like, it just, the momentum mm. was gone. I think we lost to both Stoke and Southampton. And, yeah, it was game over. But that red card, I maintain to this day, that is what sent us down ultimately in the end. And it's it's so tangible and and like almost sand through an hourglass in the sense of unless you've got the untold riches unless you've got the the never-ending chest of oh we can take a Wilfred Boney we can take a striker we can do this we can do that and if it doesn't work out we'll just do it again next year um it, it almost feels cynical to say that it almost feels harsh but I think there are so many clubs that attempt to scramble out of the bottom and and when they have the chance to survive they almost oversell the club a little i think potentially the times ones who are in the league it's not quite as bad um because you say like the the, the fees that you were um being able to, to purchase as opposed to sort of in the sort of late 90s mid 2000s where if teams went down they went down again and and were in real trouble and really gambled the farm yeah. Well, Sunderland did that recently, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. There's so many clubs in League One, or that have been in League One, um, that still are in League One. Wednesday. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, Uh, Bradford. Bolton. Oldham. They're not in the league anymore. I mean, that's a slightly different story. I mean, hugely. Talk about ownerships and about getting things wrong and about things going completely off the rails there. Every club looks at what they're doing as uh, what could have been and what could be. And it's it's sort of bittersweet to say we had our time and we'll go again because you kind of want to just be okay. 
Yeah. But that's football, and you know, you, yeah, you, can... you can't stay up there forever. Like, it's yeah. every club. How many clubs are in the league? And you think every club wants that, wants to grow up and do well. And mm. You're going to have your time, and then you're going to have your time where you're not doing so well. And I think that's part of the game, and that's why everyone loves it. Mm-hmm. As much as it's hard to come home from a loss, and you go and moan and say, oh, we're playing rubbish, oh, we should do this, that, or the other, sack the manager, whatever, when it's going wrong. Ultimately, you're just not always... Most clubs are just not always going to have success. You know, no. There's the, the few at the top of the food chain, Everyone else, it's kind of like you're gonna rotate. It is, it is. And those days where you're coming home from, I'm gonna pick a team at random here, having lost away at South Hend, for example, or just you've gone the other side of, you know, either Newcastle or down by Southampton Way, and you've done four hours of travel there and back, and it just doesn't feel worth it. When it does happen, when you do get a a league cup or a Europa League or a, a season or two or in Swansea's case a, a couple like that you, you just sort of have to hold those dear yeah and and if we want to perhaps end the conversation with maybe we want we want to look at all of the time in the championship but the one year where we did come down I said we kind of lost our way a little bit you know mm. we broke but it was kind of like a fresh start as well going we're going down now we're not in prime anymore we don't got that money fresh start Brought in a young manager, Graham Potter, with something to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, the team, obviously, a load of the Premier League players went. A lot of the like big money, more experienced players. We used a lot of our academy to bump up the first team. Mm-hmm. A lot of those have since now moved on. You got the likes of Dan James, you got Ollie McBurney, who went for big big fees. Uh, Connor Roberts, who's recently mm-hmm. Joe Rodon. Um, so they bumped up the first team. And and if there's a good game to pick as one to focus on from from that year, especially having compared the Man City uh, era with Boney and all the rest of it, we drew them in the League Cup, and so close to knocking them out as a Championship club, playing the way that you know done us so well as we went up in the Premier League, mm. passing football against the club that does it the best, the manager that does it the best, Pep Guardiola. And we played them at their own game, Tiki Taka. And I don't know if you've seen it, but Burson Selina's goal, I think it's Burson Selina's goal, either him or Dyer's goal, um, where we play it out from our goalkeeper. We're playing in triangles in the corner flag of our pitch with Man City pressing us, playing around them, straight up the other end on a, on a you know, just passing through them. Such a good team goal of that style of play and that system of all the history of what's done us so well. And mm. I guess that's a good, like, fresh start um what they're trying to do again and they would come down the start again and i was good to see the youngsters doing that sort of thing against man city ultimately they won no var but let's not talk about <laughs> that but um yeah they won but um still such an amazing game even if we lost three two really good performance no i like i think as well i talked about generational stuff and and football is cyclical and what goes will come again I, not for like overnight and if you're able to build and and able to do things you know i, I firmly believe in the the way that swansea built up to, to the premier league and, and how they were acted initially um that's as good as it gets for someone that doesn't have the resources 
yeah. someone that doesn't have the money to do it. It's the, the blueprint, I think. I'm, I'm, there might even be, I might even use the exact words in the book. As the, I think I've, yeah, that's a term a lot of people do use and say, you know, people, I've seen it lots of times, people saying Swansea, the first ones to do it, you know, there's a documentary on it. Um, I think Bournemouth perhaps followed that sort of style. You've got Brentford recently doing something mm-hmm. similar where they've had success doing the same sort of thing. So it's one of those where you're the first to do it, but maybe not the best doing it right now. But that's where we've got to try and find again. And again, like just the, the beauty of the game is, is that if you lose, you don't like losing. No one likes losing. No one likes no. going down. No one likes not winning. But you get to go again. And it's really funny. We started the podcast talking about how the World Cup, while I was qualifying for the World Cup, and you'd think the season having just finished, it would be, oh, I've had my filler football. I need a break. But we've had like, what, a week, maybe two weeks. And I'm just like, no, I want, I want, I want games now. This is, I want the season to start already. Yeah, I was going to say, I have to apologise. I'm probably making you miss the football now, and I on this podcast, the England, uh, England game. But uh... I mean, I don't know. Eagle-eyed listeners may have clocked throughout this podcast who I actually support, which might give away why I don't particularly care too much about um, what England may or may not be doing at this particular time. But you know, such, such is life, such is football. This is oh, a yeah. much better t- way of spending our time reminiscing of a Swansea during the Premier League years. Infinite luck. Okay, well that's fair enough. Um, do you know? I just looked what the score was. That's all. But um, I think do they? It's Nations League, isn't it? They're playing in. Yes, yes. Am I right in saying if they lose this game, they get relegated? Given they've only played two, I would be surprised. I don't think you can mathematically be relegated from a group of four after two. But oh, it's a group of four. I think some. I yeah. think some of the groups of three. But um. No, no. It's um Germany, Italy, and Hungary. But with Hungary already having won, then. Uh, It'll I come mean, down to goal difference, perhaps, then. Potential, yeah. I, well, I think it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Just funny for a little bit of banter and all the rest of it. But, um... and, and, like, we've, we've got an interesting sort of couple of months in terms of international football to come. England have got, I mean, obviously, the international break when the season starts. I'm talking about the season start again, and then you get another international break. Yeah. In September, they've got to play Italy and Germany back-to-back, England, this is. And that's going to be a really interesting week. And then, obviously, the World Cup with... Um, Wales and England going through undoubtedly at the uh, hands of uh, USA and Iran being left very much at the side. I checked this the other day, by the way. Stunned. Wales topped the group in 2016, having yeah. lost to England in the first game. Yeah. I, I, I had an image in my head that they topped the group, but I thought they'd done it on seven points, and I was like, that's not possible. But I, I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see something similar happen again. Can you draw against like Russia or something and? They lose um, yes, one of them. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't a great tournament all round. For, for England, that is. Um, yeah, Boy yeah. Hodgson, the less said the better. Uh, Wales, though, I was in very much a similar vein as Swansea in their sort of Europa League adventures. Wales in Euro 2016 was, he can't help but look at it with awe and be like, yeah, why not? Let's go. Yeah. I mean, again, for, for Wales qualifying, like, that's really good for Swansea and and just the impact we've had on that. If you look at the actual players in the team, mm. you've got Joe Allen, Ben Davis was there, Connor Roberts was there, um, Dan James. That's four. I might have might be missing one. I don't think I am. You obviously used to have Ashley Williams. Um, so ben Gabango was probably on the bench. Was he? Um, it's, it's we've provided a lot of players to the Welsh setup in recent years. Mm. 
and that's something for us to be proud of as well, I think, even if they're not playing here anymore. Joe Rudon, did I say him? I don't think I did. But um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's nice to see our academy as one of the legacies perhaps from the Premier League, even though it's been downgraded now because of championship money and all the rest of it. The couple of years after the relegation, when we were pumping players out, or during the Premier League, where we had some like Ben Davis, um, it's good to see that that investment, that the money that came with the Premier League, you know, gave some local players and some Welsh players good chances to get their football careers going. And it has shown on the international stage with Wales being in um, three competitions recently. So you know, we went through a long, a long period where. Wales just didn't qualify for for competitions, and now two Euros and a World Cup. So definitely happy with that. I know, undoubtedly one of the sort of on the up and coming teams that I've seen. I remember very vividly watching the game in the Euros against I think it was Turkey, and just being in awe of the um, incredible defensive performance. What would have been absolute chaos because obviously the missed penalty and football being football, you're thinking, oh, they're going to pay for that. And then, you yeah. know, it was, it was just, I think obviously with COVID and the way football has been sort of protracted over the last couple of years, we're starting to see on the other side of that now, like what the game meant. And obviously, without meaning to just go in too deep, but this is in the book as well about covid and its effect on um fans being at the stadiums and, and i think that's partly one of the reasons why i wanted to write it in the sense of i just missed football and you yeah. know we wanted to get back to what we perceive to be normal yeah different conversation but mm. one as much as i missed football miss being there miss the atmosphere what i don't miss about now that being normal again is having it all available in my house all the time <laughs> and now it's not again and i think and this is a different conversation for a different day and i don't know where your thoughts on it are but we need a different system when it comes to televised the, the televisation of football i think our system is so outdated you've got all these streaming services like netflix or the zone or whatever mm. even the individual clubs have all got their own ways of of providing that why is there no like pay-per-view per game if you want it yeah. like, or a sky sports package follow your club or something like that like it's so updated and the three o'clock curfew on lack of televised games because i will always prefer to go to a match but sometimes i'm in work and i like to try and watch it on my break and i can't now because it's just never mm. around you can't especially in the championship it's just not available um but that's just like a side thought based on what you just said because other countries like America, you're in Australia, you're in Europe, whatever, you can watch all the Premier League matches, but mm. in the country well, where they're played, you can't. Even in different sports, in a lot of American sports, they have packages related to yeah. like the NBA. You can follow a team and you yeah. get the pass for that team. It's just so ridiculous. It, yeah. yeah. I, I, the, the one thing I would say, I said to you before that I am a footballing romantic. It make no mistake, in this book, there are some scathing... Um, comments and fingers pointed, shall we say, about the yep. money that is and does exist within the game, and it's sort of chokehold potentially. I, I think there's, I, I believe in the pureness of the actual game itself, but in the way it's run, maybe less so. I think it's always the same with anything that brings money in, and you'd probably mm. argue football is the biggest sport in the world oh, yeah. financially. Um, so 
I mean, you just need to look at that Super League prospect on you to, to understand where the people who hold the power in the game, where their minds are really. So, mm. unfortunately, like, and as much as that's a, maybe a minority of clubs in terms of the amount of Renovue they perhaps are responsible for, it's probably well over the, in the 90%. Just the clubs involved in that Super League in terms of, like, if they weren't there, you know, Sky want that. Or like whoever's yeah. broadcasting want that, so that's where the money is, or they control all the money, and and that's how it, it ends up getting distributed. But yeah, there's definitely, I don't know what the the fix is, but it's not great, um, is it? The one thing I would say is that there isn't an obvious fix, but the system, the pyramid, the idea of being able to go from conference to the Premier League. The setup yeah. that we currently exist in is so much different to that they have in Italy and Spain and, and other countries. And the, we have so much history, so much vast history between all the different clubs up and down the 92 football league clubs, let alone beyond that. Um, that I think that needs to be protected, I think. Correct. Like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. like, even if you look at America, especially, if you're going to have direct comparison what the Super League could have been, the lack of relegation for me just. You just lose so much. Mm. The relegation promotion, like maybe when you've never had it, like the MLS, I think they buy their way in and they come back to the money. Like that will come mm. down to money again. That's a money sport. But here, you can still be like, um, who's the one I went out to business? I went out, but was it Barry? Barry. You know, they theoretically in the next twenty years they could be back. They could come back, come up to the Championship, the Premier League again, mm. theoretically after going bust and what a fairy tale that would be and mm. maybe it seems unlikely but it's possible and that's what makes the system so um great i think and that's why the mm. english system is perhaps considered the best one well i think as well we talked about swansea having their european adventure and you want to play teams that are on a different level or a different setting if you yeah. play burden out if you play Burton Albion, I was going to say Burton and Albion. I was going to say, well, why am I splitting them into two teams? If you play Burton Albion every year, going there isn't a big deal. And if you play Barcelona every year, going there isn't a big deal. The reason why you enjoy these trips, these places, yeah. going to Napoli, going to Atletico, Malmo. going to. Why would yeah. I ever go to Malmo? Like, I mean, unless I was perhaps traveling, but mm. it's, it's something that you just don't think of, isn't it? Like, yeah. Oh. I was playing Malmo, like I'll go to Malmo, but um, yeah, you just that's a random thing that you're like you'd experience that as a one off, and that makes it special, mm. yeah. But um, we've been going longer than I perhaps first anticipated. <laughs> I hope it's all right for you, obviously. No, no, I'm sorry to change your off. It's no, no, that's fine. Fair. I've been enjoying it, it's been good. Um, got a day off tomorrow, so I'm I'm all I'm all good for time, but maybe we should um, close the curtains there. Hour and a mm-hmm. half, I think it's a good good chunky one, which is uh, good for the summer, actually, because obviously not much football on at the moment. But um, <laughs> if I can just ask you once again to remind everyone about your book, what it's called, where to find it, all the rest of it. Sure. It's the Cornerstone Collection, 45 different chapters that cover every team in Premier League history, whether it be a full chapter like Wilfred Bowley and Swansea, um, there are so many different players of all varying different um, sort of statures. There are some really iconic Premier League players in there, but also some stories that 
you might not have heard before, some teams that you might not even be aware of their stories. And you can get it on Waterstones, WH Smith, Amazon. Um, you can go on Twitter, at SQ Studios is my Twitter handle. Uh, I've got the link in my bio there. Uh, it's coming out in July. I would implore anyone, um, if you're a football fan, whether you're a Swansea fan or not, there's more to it than just that one. Go in, check it out. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'll um, try. I'll, I'll try my best. I'll make a note now to make sure I put the links and stuff in the video description. And when I do tweet out the, the podcast or whatever, I'll um, obviously try and direct people as well. But um, really appreciate you coming on, and yeah, yeah. really Thank enjoyed the me. chat. You're always welcome to come back in the future. As I said to you in the email, I should have said at the start of the podcast, really, but I wanted to get straight into it. Um, Lee obviously is normally with me in terms of doing the podcasts, but he's mm. tied up at the moment at work because he's got some exams for the courses he's doing in regards to his job. I think he's got one on Thursday, so all the best of luck to him. But that's why he's not here. You he would have loved this conversation. And I'll be honest, he probably would have been a little bit more insightful than me in terms of the history like before premier league um he's followed them for longer than i have so he's got a little bit more knowledge but he'd be uh i'm sure he'd be enjoying listening back when he when he gets hold of it but um in the future if you want to come back on any other books or maybe after the books launched if you want to talk about anything specific or ask us anything okay. always welcome to come back on um, really appreciate it thank you for having me it's been an absolute that's pleasure. All right. um but yeah so that's been uh stuart hopefully everyone go check out his book just want to ask everyone if you did get this far into the podcast, thank you very much for staying for a start. Um, don't forget to hit the subscribe button, really supports us as a channel. Trying to push on now into the new season, let's try and hit 500. Um, and yeah, leave a like as well if you enjoyed what we've been talking about. And if you're gonna buy the book, click the like button so we know perhaps how many uh, how many extra <laughs> extra pairs of eyes are gonna read, read this fantastic piece of work that Stuart's been been um, focused on and if you do want to perhaps maybe ask him a question head over to twitter or put it in the comments and maybe i can pass them over if there's anything specific that you want to ask about the book and we can try and get an answer for you but on that note thank you again uh, for coming on Stuart, and shall catch you all in the next episode thank you very much sports social podcast network the match has just finished and you're on your way home what better way to celebrate that 90th minute winner than a McNugget share box and a few tips with your mates? You channel your inner Ronald as you race to beat the muck delivery home, just making it an injury time. Ordering muck delivery is easy on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.